But we're in the book of Philippians. Go ahead and turn your Bible there now. Um, in my Bible, that's on page 1,772. It's near the end, okay? It's one of the, uh, one of the epistles of Paul. Paul wrote this while he was in prison. We're going to talk about that a little bit today and get an idea of what was going on in his life. But one of the things that we've seen over the last couple of weeks as we've started the book of Philippians is this is often called the epistle of joy. The epistle of joy. We spent some time, trying, some time trying to understand what's the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is driven by your circumstances. Happiness you cannot produce. Happiness, we feel like, is just a matter of luck. Some people are lucky, right? Their car doesn't seem to break down. Mine does, and now I'm not happy. Happiness seems to be driven by something that, that we can't control, we can't produce, we can't make. We can't foster it. We can't create it. I uh, often stop at 7-Eleven down the road here and, and pick up a drink, you know, a Diet Coke or whatever. And it amazes me the number of people who walk in there and drop all kinds of cash, hoping they'll get some card and scratch it off. And now they'll be happy. They'll be happy. That's very different than joy. Now, don't get me wrong. You hand me 100 bucks, and I'm going to be happy. Okay? But the reality is, I'm going to spend that, am I not? And tomorrow it's going to be gone. And if all of my emotional well-being, if all of my confidence, if all of my feeling of positive nature, whatever you want to call it, if it's all driven by the hundred bucks in my pocket, well, I'm not going to be very happy. See, that's different than joy. Joy is a confident expectation given to us by God. It's a gift of God to those who know Jesus as their Savior. If you're in Christ today, you've been given the gift of joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit. God has given you joy. And it's a confident expectation of what God is going to do. That's not driven by happenstance. It's not driven by what happens to you. It's not driven by luck. It's not because your parents were rich or you've stumbled into money or you have a nice house. None of that stuff. Joy is a gift of God that rests in Him. In my relationship with Christ. And you need to know that regardless of what comes your way, regardless of the suffering, of the difficulty, or of the happiness, of the, the positive things that are occurring in your life, regardless of what comes your way, joy remains strong. Now i got a quote for you today. And uh, we'll see if we can identify who this is. Um, it was actually an article written about an individual. And this is the closing paragraph of an 11-page document. And it said this. He hates being alone. Because that means it's quiet. He doesn't like silence. He can't sleep without noise. Sleep has always been a struggle for him. Now here in the, the dot, 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 there's a, there's a comment about he would often turn to alcohol. He would turn to antidepressants. Doctors would do all kinds of things to help him with sleep. And now the house is dark. It's almost 1 a.m. He opens the iPad app that controls the Loft's audiovisual system. Every night he does the same thing. He does it now. Turn the bedroom television to the Western Channel. He knows every scene. And sometimes before they shoot out in the saloon, sometimes he falls asleep. Does that not sound like many people in America today? You might say, well, I struggle with sleep. Hey, so do I. Okay, so that's not all about that. But here's the point. When you see who this is, you're going to say, I thought he was happy. I thought he had everything going for him. 
When we played this game two weeks ago, this is a quote from, go ahead, Michael Jordan on his 50th birthday. An article, ESPN, wrote an 11-page article about Michael Jordan celebrating his 50th birthday. Remember what he told us two weeks ago? Remember the quote two weeks ago? That's where I find my joy, he said. On the basketball court, that's where I find my joy. Really? Be careful where you find your joy. When Michael was 30 and his game was on and the Bulls were winning, he found joy there. Now he's 50 and he struggles greatly, does he not? I don't know whether Michael is in Christ or not. I I hope that he is. But I know this. Last night at 1 a.m., according to this article, he was watching a Western, hoping against hope that he might go to sleep. You see, happiness is fleeting, and money doesn't provide it. Joy is of the Lord. You're in Philippians chapter 1. Let's read now at verse number 12 through verse 18. And see what the Apostle Paul says here. And then we'll talk a little bit about it. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, literally, Paul writes. Now listen, not all the time when the Bible says brothers, is it actually translation of brothers and sisters. But this one is. So he writes to the whole church now. That what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard... And to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Others from goodwill. The latter, that's the goodwill, they do it out of love. Knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former... That's the ones out of envy and rivalry. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Notice he doesn't say, why me? He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Let me tell you a little little truth about God. Listen to this truth about God. God is filled with joy. God is joy-filled. The Lord God is filled with joy. And I want to encourage you to borrow some of His. I want us to borrow joy from God. When you read in Luke chapter 15, you'll know the story. This is the account where where Jesus tells the story of the woman who can't find a coin. She can't find a coin and she finds it and then there's joy. This is the story of the shepherd. Has has 100 sheep and has 99. And one's missing. And I love the picture of that sheep. Does that sheep not look happy? Go ahead. I I just saw that. I'm like, man, we've got to use that. God is filled with joy. Let me read to you from Luke 15. Just too good, too good to just let me just cavalierly just refer to what it says. Let's see what the Word of God says here. Luke 15. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine 
in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he is found, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoiced. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and all his neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me that I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. God is joy-filled. God is overflowing with joy. He is not some mean ogre that's looking to stamp out fun. That is not who God is. God is filled with joy. And the very next story that Jesus tells, this is about the woman who searched for the coin. Listen to what Jesus says there. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The call here and the word here is this. God's filled with joy. Are we? Are we? We need to borrow His Borrow his. But that requires, now you go back to Philippians, that requires a change of perspective. And let's see what's happening here in the, in the book of Philippians, verse number 12. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Well, the question is, what on earth has happened to Paul? Now, you need to know, Paul wrote this letter, okay? This was a, this was a physical letter that Paul wrote, And he wrote it to a group of believers in a town called Philippi. And the church that was in Philippi. And he is writing this in a certain circumstance. And now he refers to that. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Well, what has happened to him? Let me walk you through a little bit of Paul's history of what has happened to him. First of all, you need to know he is in jail when he wrote this. Paul is in prison. He's under house arrest. You can see this in the end of the book of Acts. He's in house arrest. But he didn't just show up there. No, not at all. Let me walk you through what happened to Paul. The book of Acts describes it. Let me just, let me just walk up to it. Paul was arrested in Jerusalem. He was arrested because he preached Christ. Arrested in chains. He was, he was treated very harshly. He was persecuted for Christ. And then Paul spent two years... Two years before different sort of officials, okay? Basically, these were a series of trials that Paul had. For two years now, he goes to one trial and then goes back in the prison. Goes to another trial, goes back in the prison, goes to another trial, back in prison. For two years, the man is in trials and jails. And then he's put in a ship. And he's taken from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. And on the way to Rome, now in Rome, he's going to have sort of, it's almost like the Supreme Court, okay? He's going to have one more last trial. And on the way to Rome, guess what happens? His shipwrecks. Talk about bad luck, Brian, right? I mean, every time he tries something, it goes bad. So he's arrested, he's for a trial, arrested in trial, and then he takes off in his ship, and there's a shipwreck. He finally gets to Rome. He goes before the officials, He waits and he waits and he waits. And for two years, he's in house arrest. Now, let me tell you about house arrest. Here's how it works. House arrest, Paul is required to pay for his own house. How would you like that? That's not like our prison system. He is now funding where he's living. And there beside of him, he has a member of the imperial guard, the praetorium. 
These are kind of like the Navy SEALs of the Roman sort of world, of the, of the whole empire of Rome. And, and he's not just there with them. He is literally chained to this guard. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Paul is chained to this Navy SEAL type of a person. He says it there in verse number 13. It's then known throughout the whole, whole imperial guard that he's imprisoned for Christ. So here's why they're doing this. They, they don't want to waste the money to place him in, in prison, so they got to, he has to pay for it. But in reality, they're expecting him to come to his death. And so there he is, chained to a guard. Escape is not a possibility. And the thing I love about this is this whole system is set up so that Paul can't escape, right? But in reality, the guard is the one who can't escape. The guard is there, chained to Paul. And over and over and over, Paul shares Christ. Strikes me where he's at. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You ever feel like you're suffering? You ever feel like you're struggling? You ever feel like, man, things just aren't going right for me. Just aren't going right for me. Well, here's what we see about Paul. And this is what needs to be, this is what is true of those who have their fingers grasped around joy. And it's this. That these problems that we all list, that all of us have, there's nobody that is, quote, lucky enough that they don't have problems. But the problems that come our way, whether they're physical or financial or relational or or whatever they might be, the problems that come our way, Paul understands they're opportunities. They're opportunities for him. And so even this guard there by his side is an opportunity. And look what he does. Look at verse 13. It's become known throughout the whole guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. For Christ. Keep your finger here. Turn over to Colossians chapter 4. Turn to Colossians chapter 4. Look at the very last verse of the book of Colossians. See what Paul writes here. He writes, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my Chains, he says. Grace be with you. Keeping your, keeping your finger on Philippians, go back to Acts. Go to the last chapter of Acts. Acts chapter 28. Let's see what he says there. Okay, Acts chapter 28. I love this one. Look at verse 20 of 28. 28, 20. Look what Paul says here. For this reason, Paul writes... He, this, now, Paul didn't write the book of Acts, but he is writing a letter here, okay? And this is the letter that is sent out from him. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since, be, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain, he says. This chain. For Paul, the obstacle, the, the problem, the suffering was a physical He uses the definite article here, the chain that's hanging from my wrist. What is it for you? What is the chain? What is the thing that is in your life 
that certainly feels like a problem, certainly feels like it's an obstacle, certainly feels like it's suffering, but in reality, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. Go back to Philippians chapter 1. Go back to Philippians 1. Let's see what's happening here. Okay? So problems are opportunities, but I want you to see what is the priority for Paul. He says, so it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. This is verse 13. This has been known throughout the imperial guard. It's been known about his imprisonment. And what has been known is in verse number 12. What has happened to him has really served to advance the gospel. Now my challenge for us was this. God is filled with joy. Borrow His. Borrow His. God is overwhelmed with joy. Borrow His. But what is it, what is it that brings God joy? I got news for you. We need to know. It is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. I got another article here. This week. Have you watched the news this week? I know every channel on your television has been about the Pope. Every article that comes across the internet is about the Pope. And I don't know if you got the opportunity to listen to the speech or to read the speech that Pope Francis made before Congress. But if you did, you might have noticed something that was missing. Now, I don't know how long he talked. I'd say it's probably about 30 minutes of, of, of talking that the Pope gave there in front of Congress. The, all the Senate, all the House of Representative members, they're all there. All the important people of our culture were there. And they, they bring forth this man who's supposedly speaking on behalf of Christ. Supposedly. He's the vicar of Christ. The one who stands in his place is what that means. According to the Catholic Church. Do you know he never, not once, not once, did he mention the name Jesus Christ. Not one single time did he say Jesus. Tell me, what's wrong? What's wrong? Now we see how wrong that is. But my question for us is this God is filled with joy. Borrow some of his. The gospel is what makes him very filled with joy. Are we that dedicated to the gospel? By gospel, I don't mean what the Pope calls gospel. I don't mean be kind to one another. I don't mean love one another. I don't mean that. That's not the gospel. Here is the gospel. Jesus Christ was crucified for sin. He was buried. He was resurrected. And he reigns as Lord over the earth. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And Paul, it could not be held back. His priority is the gospel. See it here. See it. it is, what has happened to him is advanced the gospel. The imperial guard has heard it. Verse number 14, the brothers have heard about it. Verse number 15, those that are operating in envy and rivalry have heard about it. He's preaching the gospel over and over and over. Sadly, though, the reality is if we did a survey, okay, most of us have not shared the gospel with anybody. In, a, in any, 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 any time period, say a week, a month, a year, most of us haven't had the opportunity to do this, haven't taken the opportunity to share the gospel. 
And then we wonder, why is joy so low? What drove this man? What drove Paul that no matter what, he preached the gospel? Can I just share a couple things with you? Number one, listen, you might write these references down. You might try to turn to them quickly. First of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. Listen to what Paul says. For I preach the gospel. That gives me no ground for boasting. For, no, for necessity is laid upon me. And then he says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach. Now believe me, don't think of preach as what I'm doing right here. Preach just means to herald. It just means to tell other people. Woe to me. What's the word woe mean? Woe means sadness. Woe means loss of joy. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. There's a guy named Richard Baxter. He was a pastor 250 years ago. And he said this, I preach as never sure to preach again. Here comes a great phrase. As a dying man to dying men. Hear that? As, as a dying man to dying men. Why no joy? Maybe no gospel. Why no joy? Maybe no proclamation of the truth. Why no joy? Maybe I'm not a dying man proclaiming the truth to dying men. Why else was Paul so driven? Listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7 to 9. He says, The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Why was Paul so driven? Because he knew two truths. One, hell was real. Hell is real. We've got to understand that today, folks. Hell is a real thing. And all, all people are eternal. That's the second thing he recognizes from, first, from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 to 9. All people are eternal. And hell is real. So Paul was driven with this truth. He had a mandate to preach the gospel, to share the gospel, because hell is real. And people are eternal. And, and, and the next thing, I've got a whole list of things here. I'm, I'm going to be careful that I don't overwhelm you with all of this. But listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 to 24. He says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, followed to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both to Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We preach Christ crucified. See, the truth is this. When you squeezed Paul, when you squeezed him, because he was being squeezed, he was being pressed down. Remember he said that in 1 Corinthians? Pressed I am. I'm struggling. When you, when you squeezed Paul, the truth of the gospel came out. The truth of who Jesus is. It, it, when you squeezed him, it wasn't NFL. When you squeezed him, it wasn't some you know, youth sports team. 
When you squeezed him, it wasn't the condition of his home. When you squeezed him, it wasn't a 1959 Chevrolet. That's not what it was. When you squeezed Paul, the gospel came out and he knew, woe to him if that wasn't the case. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace. Why do we run after other things? Why? The Spirit of God brings joy when a believer is pressed. So he would not quit. Paul would not quit. There's a word that I like. Don't use it very often. It's the word metal. You know this word? M-E-T-T-L-E. Metal. Paul was filled with metal. What that means is he would not quit. Problems, opportunities. Priority, the gospel. Now let's watch him not quit. Check this out. Go back to Philippians chapter 1. Okay, if you turn somewhere, go back there and let's see Paul not quitting. This is great truth. Great truth. Verse number 13. It's become known through the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The first thing I want you to see here, physical suffering won't stop him. Physical suffering won't stop him. The man is chained to his oppressor. And he does not stop physical suffering. Now, most of us are probably never going to struggle physically in this way. Most, I mean, you never know what God may bring our way. But likely, no one in this room is going to be persecuted in that way. Likely, we may never be chained to a prison guard. But the reality is, most of us will likely suffer sometime physically. Most of us will. Sickness, injury, just old age in general, right? Physical suffering doesn't have to stop you. It actually gives you opportunity. It gives you opportunity to point to Christ in a whole new way. Listen, I saw this this week, and I want to brag on my friend, Brent Alderman. Brent, if you're listening to the recording, sorry, buddy, but I'm going to talk about you. So this week I went and visited Tracy. Brent had been with Tracy there in the hospital room for an extended amount of time. Talking about your dad, Megan. He's a good man. I said, hey, Brent, let's get some dinner. We need a break. So we went off to Applebee's and we sat there and, and had a meal together. And I'm there talking to Brent about suffering. I'm saying, asking questions. You know, well, I mean, this was kind of my, my nonverbal language. So how bad is it? Tell me more. How bad is it? Tell me more. Right? I'm just like, oh, please, whine. That's what I was saying to him. Okay? And Brent just kept saying this was his message. This was his message. Listen, Lowell, I've learned. In suffering is opportunity. In suffering is opportunity. And when you're going through suffering, now listen, this, listen to this word. When you're going through suffering... When you're suffering, it feels like time slows down. 
When Paul is chained to this, you know, to this guard, it feels like time slows down. He said, but I'm telling you, when you're through it and you look back, it doesn't go any slower than any other time. Before you know it, it's over. Don't let physical suffering stop you. Paul had metal, and he would not quit. Physical suffering wasn't enough. So let's go to the next level, shall we? Go back to the passage. It says, most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Hear what he's saying? The gospel's still working, folks. I'm in jail. Paul's saying, I'm in prison. And it's still working out there. There's still success out there. The church is still growing. The, the, the plan of God is still moving forward. You know what won't stop him? I'll tell you what won't stop Paul is the success of others. You see, the gospel's still working. But it's not, you know, Paul's seeing some, but he's now reporting how it's working out there in a great way. And he's not envious. He's not envious and saying, oh, well, too bad for me. It's working for them, not for me. That's not where he's at. He's rejoicing and he won't let it stop him. So the success of others isn't stopping Paul. You say, well, how would that ever happen? Folks, it happens all the time in the church. Does it not? Their marriage is better than mine. Their kids are better than mine. Their house is better than mine. Their gift is better than mine. And we get all self-focused, and before we know it, we quit. But not Paul. Not Paul. Other people's success didn't stop him. So now let's go to the next level, shall we? Look where this one goes. Most of the brothers have been confident in my imprisonment and were much more bold to speak the word without fear. Verse 15. But some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. Go down to verse 17. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my my imprisonment. Let me explain to you what Paul is saying. He's in jail. He is bound by the chain to a guard. And there are some people, believers, by the way, these are believers. They're preaching the gospel. Okay? He does not speak anathema to them. He says that in the the book of 1 Corinthians. Those who preach a false gospel, anathema. That means let them go to hell if they preach a false gospel. He doesn't say that here. He doesn't say that. They're preaching the gospel. But here's what's driving them. Now listen to this. You talk about sick. You talk about a lot like us. Here's what's driving them. Paul's taken out. Paul's in prison. Do you know what that's created? An opening. Oh, there's an opening. This is what some believers are feeling. There's an opening. Paul's been taken out. So now there's opportunity for me. And so their ambition takes over. And now, why are they preaching Christ? So they'll look good. Envy, rivalry, selfish ambition. They're preaching Christ, so they'll take another step up the ladder. You know what this is? This is when other believers do stupid things. Sometimes other believers do stupid things. Sinful, selfish things. Stupidity. 
But Paul doesn't let that make him quit. His medal holds. He's holding. Whether he is struggling physically, whether there is success going on without him, or whether there are believers doing stupid things, he will not quit. What makes you quit? How easy is it for you to quit? His joy was unshakable. There's maliciousness towards him, okay? There is, there is bad feelings toward him. There is there's selfish ambition all around him, and he does not quit. Verse 18. Verse 18. I love this. Because what I would say, if I were Paul, I would say, why me? Paul says, what then? Do you hear the difference? Do you hear the difference? Here's what what then is asking. What then is asking this, how will I now operate? Taking all this into account, taking my struggle, taking my challenge, taking what believers are doing, taking what stupid believers are doing, all that's behind me, now what will I do? What will I do? And he answers, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. You know, the thing is this. Paul's joy, unshakable. Unshakable. Because the gospel in his life was unavoidable. It was going to come out of him. And so I want to call you today to joy. I want to challenge you towards joy. But I don't want you to figure out a way to produce it in your life. Because you can't. I want you to borrow from God. You and I need joy. Borrow from God. Let the gospel flow out of you. And there will be joy. There will be joy. So here's the challenge. Who in your life this week now, this week, are you willing to ask God to give you an opportunity this week to tell somebody about Jesus. When the opportunity comes, please don't talk about being a good boy. Please don't talk about, you know, how to have a nice family. Please don't talk about loving your neighbor as yourself. Please don't talk about that. We'll talk about that next week in church. We'll talk about that in focus group. You talk the gospel. Talk Jesus. Not good boy. Talk Jesus as the Messiah, as the only answer that there is for mankind. Paul was unstoppable because the Spirit of God was working with him, working in him, working on him, the same Spirit that you and I have. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I do ask you to work in our hearts. God, give us this overflowing joy that cannot be contained. God, we admit to you that we get so focused on circumstances that joy is difficult. So, Lord, would you just overpower that? Lord, I pray for those that might be struggling physically. God, there's people here I know that struggle physically all the time. God, would you, would you allow them to rise above that? It doesn't make the sickness go away. But the gospel's still true. Lord, there are people who are struggling with other believers. Maybe struggling with envy of other believers. Maybe struggling with other believers who are envious. 
Good believers, stupid believers. Lord, help us to not let that hold us back in our joy. And may our joy be unshakable. Our joy in Jesus, the Messiah. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.